From Connecticut, I'm Erica Ducey, and this is a Vine Pair podcast conversation. We're bringing you these conversations between our regular podcast episodes to give you a better picture of how the COVID-19 pandemic is impacting all parts of the business, as well as to provide a bit of hope and a path forward for all of us. Today, I'm speaking with Dan Petrowski. Uh, he's the winemaker at Larkmead Vineyards and owner of Massican Winery, which are both based in Napa Valley. I'm excited in particular to talk with Dan today. I definitely considered him to be a thought leader in the wine space. Um, he's been outspoken on issues like climate change and the responsibility of leaders in the wine industry to act as stewards for the next generation. So Dan, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Erica. Great to be here. Wish I was with you in person chatting, but uh, this will have to do. I know. This will have to do for now. Um, so first, you know, help me set the stage. So you work and live in Napa. What's the vibe like there right now? I mean, is it is it a ghost town? Do you see people strolling around social distanced? Um, you know, help, help paint a picture for our listeners. For sure. Um, it reminds me a lot of uh, post- fires 2017 when travel and tourism um, was no longer a part of uh, our community. Uh, so I, I do imagine that this is what Napa Valley felt like to a lot of the uh, the previous generation, the older generation, where it was a farming community, it was a production community with regards to making wine, and that is what it is right now. We are um, considered essential businesses in agriculture in California to be uh, producing beverage, producing wine. Uh, so myself and my peers are all going to work. Uh, we're going to the vineyards. We're going to the wineries. Production facilities are open. Uh, the vines are continuing continuing their perennial season. Uh, we are just through bud break. So with regards to that, for the locals, we are it's business as usual, um, but it's just very quiet. Napa Valley is um, is uh, 26 miles long. It's uh, has two roads in and out, and it gets about four million visitors a year. So if you take away those visitors, um, it can be very quiet. I wouldn't call it necessarily a ghost town. Um, my my friends and colleagues in the in the restaurant and hospitality business uh, would definitely be calling it a ghost town. But from a production point of view and a viticultural point of view, it's uh, it's business as usual. Yeah. And and take me through what's happening in the vineyard now. So, you know, right now you, you mentioned you've got bud, bud break and um, and I know in the cellar people are bottling. What's happening over the next couple of months that you really need to be thinking about and planning for in terms of work in both the vineyard and the cellar? For sure. Starting with the uh... With the vineyard side, yes, we are in bud break. Um, we're about, in some instances, in some parts of uh, Napa and Sonoma and California, we are anywhere from a week to two weeks ahead of normal due to the, the light uh, winter rains and the kind of the warmer uh, start to the spring. And um, so we're, we're seeing, uh, we're getting our guys back out in the fields to do what we call right now suckering or shoot thinning. So as, uh, as bud break happens, we'll have multiple buds on a, on a single vine and only certain after pruning, only a certain amount that we will actually want to create the new canes for the new season of growth. So uh, we'll have um, our vineyard teams out there in the fields um, over the course of the next couple of weeks, uh, shoot thinning and, and cleaning up the vines and kind of focusing the energy uh, in, into the canes that we want to 
we want to grow and develop. Um, in the cellar, um, most people right now are in the bottling uh, phase or getting into the bottling phase with regards to racking and blending wines for bottling. So I just came out of a bottling in, uh, in March, on March uh, 16th, 17th, and 18th, and that was uh, right when uh, we decided in California later that week to uh, shelter in place. Um, Larkmead, where we did the bottling, uh, we decided to, to shut the operations down on on March 15th, so the Sunday before the bottling. So it was very quiet here. Um, production was still going, but the hospitality team was not. Um, but we're gonna be looking at, you know, racking and blending and, and preparing for our June bottlings, which is our uh, Larkmead's um, 2018 Cabernet bottling. So that's our big bottling every year. And it's usually pre-harvest, um, late spring, early summer. And that's gonna be something that's gonna be challenging as we think about this concept of sheltering in place. Um, and if we are not open as a, as a community to, uh, to be working in those capacities, even though we are essential, we still have, um, you know, kind of abide by the health and wellness of, uh, of you know, the, what we'd like to see for our staff and our employees and our peers. So we'll have to um, think about social distancing. We'll have to think about proper attire um, in the cellar when we're thinking about racking and blending and bottling, because we're going to be doing these in close quarters. Um, whereas in the fields and in, in the vineyards, it's a little easier for us as a, a community to, to have protocols in place about social distancing. Vines themselves are socially distanced at, um, at levels anywhere between four, six, nine, 12 feet apart from each other. So as you're working, hand working on a vine, you're pretty much distancing yourself from uh, um, someone on the team. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, it sounds like the actual production, uh, while impacted can, can still continue, although probably the cadence, um, you know, and the, like the speed of production may, may be impacted in some way. Oh, for sure. That's the number one thing I worry about with regards to bottling. Uh, the bottling units here in Napa Valley are mostly mobile. So if, if you're a winery, of under 10,000 cases of wine, just for argument's sake, you probably don't have your own bottling uh, equipment. Mm -hmm. So we have uh, a number of uh, third-party services in, in and around uh, the Napa Valley and Sonoma County that come in with a 18-wheeler uh, truck, pull it up onto your crush pad, and you hook up a hose, and you have about eight to 10 uh, guys and girls helping uh, load glass, um, um, fill bottles, capsules, labeling, pack boxes, stack boxes, and you can do up to uh, 60 uh, bottles a minute. So five cases wow. uh, a minute. Uh, so it's a bottle, basically a bottle a second. And uh, that speed and that efficiency is great for wine quality because it's not exposing the wine to too much uh, extra oxygen. But because of our current situation, bottling trucks are slowing down product um, the, the speed mm -hmm. so we can have less people on the, on the line working. So at doing a bottle a second or five cases a minute, you need uh, a lot of hands on deck. But if we can slow that down a little bit, it may expose the wine to a little bit more oxygen, which we have to take into consideration with regards to how to protect that wine. But um, it's safer for 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 human uh, interaction during those periods. So so yeah, so we're going to have to worry a little bit about that, adapt a little bit to those uh, conditions. But we're also very hopeful that as we get into the summer months uh, later this year when bottling is uh, in full force, especially in Sonoma County as they're bottling all the Pinot Noirs typically and Chardonnays uh, right prior to harvest, um, that we're going to be back to normal. 
Cool, cool. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about um, the winery tourism, right? So Napa is, you know, you mentioned four million visitors a year coming through, um, and uh, presumably the restaurants and, and wineries are going to reopen uh, in some capacity this this summer. You know, we think at this point. Um, but how do you think that in the kind of summer season to you know fall within the next several months? How do you think that hospitality is going to be impacted in the valley? Just to, to set the stage a little bit, as you asked earlier, when this happened, there's no right time for a pandemic. But when this happened to to us uh, globally in in February and March, uh, the Napa Valley, being a travel tourist tourism destination. Um, starts to really come out of its winter shell in in April May, so we actually had a nice little bit of a runway here for travel and tourism, where we weren't expecting large crowds um, in in late February and March. So now that we're getting into the April uh, April weeks and then into May, we're going to start to see the impact of of loss of traffic and that on a on a financial basis. But um, as we think about I'm optimistic with regards to um, the rebuilding process. It sucks right now that no one is working, that uh, restaurants are closed, hotels are closed, uh, wineries are closed. Um, it's really hard for everybody at this moment for um, just living conditions with regards to whether or not you're furloughed or out of work or or so forth. But um, right. I'm super optimistic that we are going to come out of this on top and we're actually gonna get better. And the reason for that is for my optimism is I think back to 2008 and the financial crisis and the great recession and how the Napa Valley came out of, uh, how they came out of that uh, great recession. And they actually, it was Lark Mead in 2009, we received our largest number of visitors that we've ever had since opening, hmm. since opening our doors in 2006. And part of the, 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 the kind of the, the human cultural mindset, I think, in the recession was, yeah, I do want to go uh, and visit Tuscany, and I live in California. I do want to go and visit um, Bordeaux or Burgundy, and I want to go on a wine country uh, uh, tour, and I want to do a, a vacation. But I also have a great wine country in my backyard, whether it's north in Napa and Sonoma or south in Santa Barbara County. So we received a lot of um, a lot of foot traffic in uh, during the Great Recession, hmm. and now you add a pandemic on top of a recession, yeah. which kind of sucks. Um, but actually, you know, uh, what really gets me excited about the opportunities is that you can control your own travel and tourism uh, when you go to wine country in Napa and Sonoma. What I mean by that is you you get in a car and you drive, so you're socially isolating yourself from uh, from um, anyone else. Uh, you can pick your destination. You can navigate to how you feel. Uh, you see fit. A lot of the uh, the tours and, and and visitation in Napa Valley is done by appointment only. So you can have a conversation when making that appointment about your experience in advance. So you can really cater your your tour to be self aware about you know the conditions that we're coming out of that we're rebuilding from. So I think we're actually mm -hmm. going to uh, with that in mind. I think the the Napa Sonoma travel and tourism is gonna, actually going to see a, a a slight boom coming out of this because I think people will feel safe. Yeah, exploring their backyards, and um, they've got this great this great wine country that they can further explore in ways that they maybe haven't before. 
Yeah, and you're and a lot of the visitation, especially in the summertime, you have people sitting out on decks looking out into vineyards. You have people sitting in uh, uh, kind of um, rocking chairs on the back of the porch at Lark Meet. So I think they'll and they're outside. So as long as we're controlling the environment, we're being more um, socially and culturally conscious of of cleanliness. Which the one great thing about the wine industry is we are incredibly conscious about cleanliness. Um, yeah, you know you can eat off the floors in any winery in Napa Valley or Sonoma County. And, and most places in the world. So um, we really think about that as a, a that, that sterilization of, uh, of, of, of the space uh, to be yeah. part of our uh, DNA. Totally. And, and do you find, I'm interested to, to know a little bit because you, you have, you run two different businesses. So you've got uh, winemaking at Larkmead and then also you run your own, what, what we were calling a virtual winery. So Massacan, a brand that um, uh, doesn't have a physical location. Um, and, and I think that, that it, it was interesting to me when we talked a little bit before that, you know, um, a lot of the the communication that you do with uh, your customers already has been online, um, but that you've adapted in some interesting ways. So can you talk a little bit about how you're connecting with customers in, in different ways than you did before? For sure. And it's, it's nothing way out of the ordinary and uh, we've had this conversation about communication, and I think it's really important that I come from a place and uh, as a, I, I'm fortunate to be a wine maker, but I started out as a wine drinker and a very intimidated wine drinker. So my approach towards communication with my customers has always been, or anyone who's drinking wine with me, has always been about um keeping the intimidation factor down and trying to create a relationship in some capacity. And what I've done is just been very active on um, my, on the Masakan side, because I'm, you know, the proprietor, winemaker, et cetera, et cetera, customer service representative, <laughs> um, you name it. Um, it's just to communicate uh, as, as often and as personal as possible. Uh, so it's a lot of one-on-one. -on -one. And over over time, I've grown that uh, email communication to uh, text message communication to telephone communication. And now during the, the pandemic, I've actually been you know doing a lot of FaceTime uh, with customers one-on-one. -on -one. They've received their wines. They'll text me and then we'll jump on the phone for five or 10 minutes or even 20 minutes. And we'll talk about when they should drink the wines or um, what they should uh, pair it with. And then I've started also, you know, kind of just getting more active on social media. I was never one to post uh, a lot on Instagram, um, but stories allow me to kind of be more of my who I am as a person and uh, a little bit outside of the, uh, the wine industry and whether it be arts or journalism or so books and reading and newspapers, magazines, but also cocktails, which has been important mm -hmm. part of my life um, in my prior life growing up in the publishing industry as a, you know, a three martini lunch guy. <laughs> um, so I've uh, I've been able to do that. And I've actually strangely, weirdly um, started this quarantini post where every night I'm, I'm, I'm mixing a new cocktail and I just can't keep up with uh, a, a lot of the, the, the DMs and uh, kind of the, the shout outs and uh, the back and forth that comes along with being putting yourself out there publicly and and it's uh it's been great and wonderful and i've had an amazing experience and i try to connect as much as possible with everybody but it's been it's you know just an, it's 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 a it's more avenues more channels and uh it's nothing that anyone else isn't doing right now but it's 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 proving very successful with regards to relationship building. Yeah. And it sounds like it's more, I mean, it's more, it's more direct. It's more connected probably than it's been, you know, ever before. Uh, and, and if people want to follow your, your quarantine adventures, for example, uh, <laughs> what are the accounts that they should follow? 
Um, it's just my own personal account, Dan Petrovsky, uh, on Instagram. And, you know, Larkmead, we have our own, uh, we have our own imagery and vision for who we are on, on Instagram, as, as does Masakan. So uh, it's just my own personal account. And it's, it's pretty limited to, you know, what, you know, drinking and vineyards and pictures of stuff like that. But the stories is where it's become a little bit more active. One day I'll have a TikTok account. And, yeah. <laughs> and we'll change the world together. But okay. um, <laughs> and, then, and then you'll need to dance too. So I hope you know that. <laughs> um, so, uh, so let's, let's talk a little bit about the bigger changes to the industry over the long term, because I think, you know, we've, we're seeing that uh, with the need of having to go online and do, you know, virtual tastings and so forth, that there may be some actual, you know, long-term changes to the business that come out of this, whether you're talking about how you work with people on the trade side or the consumer side. Are there are there other changes that you're seeing that um, that you're finding interesting? I'm excited about the, the future of uh, the wine industry. I mean, we are still one of the... Um, one of the oldest kind of personal touch industries remaining. I mean, we are, you know, we are door to door salespeople in the sense that uh, we're, you know, you, everyone who buys a bottle of wine from the trade community, whether it be a restaurant or a retailer, um, there's an experience with the sales rep and actually tasting the wines uh, that they are buying. And that is something that is, um, you know, some industries may consider it to be very antiquated, but it's very personal um, in our industry. And, and I think what's going to change uh, or what can change is how we do that communication. A lot of times you'll have a sales and marketing representative from the winery or the winemaker themselves in the marketplace tasting and going on these, uh, uh, these what we call the work with in, uh, in the industry, where you're out in a car driving to an account and pouring your wines and you have 10 minutes and then you boom, you're in the car again, you're driving to another account. And I think that that, you know, this whole concept of virtual tasting, now that we have these cameras and videos and and uh, computers in our pocket, I can FaceTime, you know, with you yeah. if, uh, if, if my sales, my sales rep in New York City is in an account with a couple of bottles of wine, they can pull me up right there and be like, hey, you know, it's Ian Doran at Zachy's wants to say hello, won't you tell him about the new vintage and, and you're standing right there while he's tasting yeah. it. And that's, a, you know, an old friend and, you know, you can connect for two or three minutes. And I think that will change you know, just to kind of, and, and from a, from a financial perspective, I don't necessarily, I may not necessarily have to get on a plane and travel 3,500 miles to New York and then, you know, uh, spend three days in the market doing that. And that's a, that's a, a definitely a, a, a financially and fiscal responsible thing as we think about coming out of this, that a simple thing like FaceTime or Zoom or, or any of the platforms right now that are promoting video uh, communication may change the way we do business. And I think that's an amazing yeah. step in the right direction to take advantage of technology. Totally, totally. And, and just, I want to also get at the sense of, you know, I think we have a lot of listeners who are small business owners and um, you know, what is it that you, I think you have a, a as, as we've discussed, you know, you're, you're really looking kind of at the big picture and um, kind of all of the things that are happening in the industry. So I'd like to hear your perspective as, as a small business owner, you know, if you're looking at a roadmap for the next, you know, two years or 18 months or what have you, um, what are you what are you thinking and what are what should other small business owners be be thinking about um, to kind of path, you know, create a path forward? I think that first and foremost, um, 
what we're going to all realize right now is fiscal responsibility, not only uh, as a business owner, but as, a, as individuals and personal finances, is that there's going to be something that will disrupt the future. Um, we could not predict. Everyone was talking about uh, an economic recession and that the market was uh, a bubble. And, but no one predicted that a pandemic would have just shuttered um, the market and, and put so many people in, un, in unemployment um, and causing such great, vast, massive uh, government step in and bailouts. So as I think what we have to all do is, is just think about fiscal responsibility, think about what it's gonna take uh, on a cash flow basis to, to live your life. Um, and if you can start that on starting that kind of on that ground floor, I think you can think about then as your business. And, you know, everyone has a different idea of what that looks like. Um, you know, some people, you know, would historically say you needed a, a three months worth of living expenses. Now, I'm, I mean, as a business, I would want 36 months yeah. worth of uh, operating cost. Um, I'm doing my burn rates. I'm looking at my sales. Um, you know, Masakan is a, for example, as a personal small business owner, the majority of my wine is sold in restaurants nationwide. Well, since mid-March, no restaurants have been open. Mm -hmm. um, I would normally at this time of the year have shipped out close to 30% of all my production um, to, uh, uh, to my distributors who then turn that over into on-premise and off-premise restaurants and retail. Uh, right now, I've only shipped out 5%. Wow. So as, as, I, as I look at my future, I think about, I'm not even, I can't even consider 24 months from now, because I have to think about harvest 2020, and that's less than six months from now. And basically, if it's it's a year like we're seeing right now, where where bud break is a week early and the weather is warm and the season is dry, I, I have to start thinking about picking Sauvignon Blanc by the second week of August. Mm. And and that great bill comes comes around by December 1st. And if I if I'm not shipping any wine to uh, to New York or to Illinois or to Texas by um, by August or September, you know, the payment terms there are 30, 60, 90 days. And I have to think about my cash flow of like whether or not I can pay that farmer, um, yeah. you know, the cost of those grapes. So conversations. So I am thinking I need 36 months or 24 months of, uh, of cash runway and, and stocking cash. As I think about a small business moving forward, um, it's going to be definitely part of my ethos and, and uh, business building moving forward. But the, the short term is, is how are we, um, going to afford to collaborate with our with our growers about you know growing grapes this year, making wine and having an inventory, um, you know, a, a, an inventory for sales moving forward and what that runway is going to look like. If it, uh, you know, a small brand like Masakana makes white wine, the problem I see there is you know I'm, these are these are one year whites where they're in the market and they turn over very quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, Napa Valley Cabernet, on the other hand are wines that age over time and they do well over time. So, you know, for, for the Napa Valley Cabernet producers like Larkmead, we can actually sit on wine a little longer and just push our runway out with regards to sales. And I think that's, um, you know, it's not ideal uh, for our cash flow either, mm -hmm. but it does, uh, it does have a, a kind of a, a little bit more logical uh, perspective when it comes to, you know, the style of wines and the wines that we're, we're producing. Yeah. And, and just uh, wrapping up a, a last question for you. So, um, you know, I always want to leave things with a silver lining. Um, but when you look into the future and, and think about the, the future of the wine business and just, you know, in general, um, are you excited or are you pessimistic? I'm very excited. 
um, for a couple of reasons. One, I do think that, you know, that as I said earlier in, the chat, in this chat was, uh, we're going to see a really great opportunity for wine country travel and tourism as we come out of this and we rebuild. I think we're, we're poised to do really well in that and to bring people, you know, to keep people at home and keep them close and keep them domestic. Um, keep them safe and keep them in really good wine. So I'm excited about that. And we might see new people who've, uh, who haven't you know, taken wine country travel and tourism uh, vacations in a while. So I'm, that's one thing I'm excited about. Two, I'm excited about the whole technology uh, and the adaptation as we discussed of, of bringing in these virtual tastings and bringing people mm -hmm. together um, for a virtual cocktail um, and doing these live Instagram live uh, chats and so forth and having a couple people on there and then people, you know, step in when they have a moment, like it's like meeting your friends at a bar, uh, for half an hour for a drink <laughs> after work. And, and I think those things are really cool. Do I miss the human, you know, engagement and human interaction? Of course. And does that ever want, always miss that? Of course. But I do think we have, we're an industry, as I said, that is slightly antiquated and, um, in, in how we conduct business. Um, I do think that as an industry from a, from a, from our supplier side to the to the, the, the kind of sales side, we have a lot to learn uh, under these current circumstances, and we have a, a great opportunity to kind of continue that moving forward. Um, we also might have a chance to you know think about e-commerce as, as a new vehicle to help support our businesses. Um, hopefully, culture will you know the culture of purchasing wine online will uh, have and alcohol and spirits and beer online will adapt uh, to something that's a little bit more prominent. I mean, it's been a very small part of our industry for a very long time. And uh, mm -hmm. hope if we can kind of double that and double that again over the next um, three to six years, I think that'd be amazing. But, um, and then last but not least, and I, and I have no optimism about this, so I don't want to leave on a sour note, but <laughs> I really would love to see, um, you know, kind of some of these antiquated liquor laws uh, that are post-prohibition liquor laws change uh, in this country. And I think right now we're starting to see, you know, state by state um, kind of loosening some of their laws to allow for restaurants and retail and uh, and suppliers to, to to do things that they weren't able to do prior to uh, through this pandemic. And I'm not sure those are going to stay in place. It's already been stated that they will not stay in place. These are only temporary. Um, but hopefully it opens up some minds to some creative ways to kind of change some of our laws to make them a little bit more 21st century um, yeah. so that we can we can open business and allow businesses to, to kind of be creative and innovative and actually do what they are meant to do, which is to produce a wonderful alcoholic beverage called wine and to sell it freely to um, to the citizens of the United States. Absolutely. And I, I think the cat's out of the bag on that. So I, I feel like it's going to be hard to claw back from uh, from where we're at now. Um, I hope so. Well, <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, well, thank you so much for sharing your insights with us today. Um, it's always such a pleasure to chat with you. And next time, I hope it is over a three martini lunch at a steakhouse <laughs> in New York City. <laughs> That's a deal. I look forward to it. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you, Erica. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you enjoy listening to us every week, please leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and hosted by Zach Jabal, Erica Ducey, and me, Adam Teeter. Our engineer is Nick Patry and Keith Beavers. I'd also like to give a special shout out to my Vine Pair co-founder, Josh Mallon, and the rest of the Vine Pair team for their support. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again right here next week.